Hello, and welcome back to Riverside Readings. I'm your host, Trent Miley, and today we will be continuing on our journey of our Shakespeare sonnet series. In part three, which covered sonnets 41 to 60, we encountered more acts of desperation. Our poet so desperately wants the love of someone who has yet to give it in return. Though some sonnets were jaded towards this fact, the poet was overall understanding, and we even saw two sonnets, 57 and 58, written from his lover's perspective through the lens of how the poet views her at times, describing her as a servant who should fulfill his every need and desire brings forth an interesting journey as we head into our next part. Will the poet continue on his path of desperation? Will the lover finally realize the poet? Or will the lines of rhymes continue on until the end, with neither lover nor poet achieving their ultimate goal of loving in the present and surviving as beacons of the past? I look forward to what we will discover in part four of our Shakespeare sonnet series on Riverside Readings. Without further ado, here are Shakespeare sonnets 61 to 80. Is it thy will thy image should keep open my heavy eyelids to the weary night? Dost thou desire my slumbers should be broken while shadows like to thee do mock my sight? Is it thy spirit that thou sendest from thee so far from home into my deeds to pry, to find out shames and idle hours in me the scope and tenor of thy jealousy? Oh no, thy love, though much, is not so great. It is my love that keeps mine eye awake, my own true love that doth my rest defeat, to play the watchman ever for thy sake. For thee watch I whilst thou dost wake elsewhere, from me far off, with others all too near. Is it your wish for your image to keep open my heavy eyelids throughout the tiring night? Do you wish for my sleep to be broken up, while shadows that look like you mock my sight? Is it your ghost that you send me from you so far from home to pry into my private affairs, to discover shameful things and how I spend my free time, which is the focus and object of your jealousy? Oh no, your love is a lot, but it is not so great. It is my love that keeps my eye awake, my own true love that defeats my ability to sleep, to always watch over for you for your own sake. I keep a lookout for you while you are awake elsewhere, far away from me, but all too close to others. Sin of self-love possesseth all mine eye and all my soul, and all my every part, and for this sin there is no remedy, it is so grounded inward in my heart. Methinks no face so gracious is as mine, 
no shape so true, no truth of such account, and for myself mine own worth do define, as I all other and all worth surmount. But when my glass shows me myself indeed, beated and chopped and tanned antiquity, my own self-love quite contrary I read, self so self-loving were iniquity. Tis thee myself, that for myself I praise, painting my age with beauty of thy days. The sin of self-love possesses my eyes and my soul, and every part of my body. In this sin there is no remedy. It is so rooted inside my heart. I think no other face is as gracious as mine, no shape as perfect, no truth so valuable. And I define my own worth by myself, as I am worth more than all others combined. But when my mirror shows me myself, beaten and chapped and aged by the sun, I interpret my own self-love in quite the opposite way. Self, to love yourself so much would be a sin. Thus I praise you, myself, instead of myself, dressing up my age with the beauty of your youth. Against my love shall be as I am now, with time's injurious hand crushed and o'erworn, when hours have drained his blood and filled his brow with lines and wrinkles, when his youthful morn hath traveled on to age's steepy night, and all those beauties whereof now he's king are vanishing or vanished out of sight, stealing away the treasure of his spring. For such a time do I now fortify against confounding age's cruel knife, that he shall never cut from memory my sweet love's beauty, though my lover's life. His beauty shall in these black lines be seen, and they shall live, and he in them still green. Preparing for the time when my lover will be as I am now, crushed and worn out by the hand of cruel time, when hours have drained his blood and filled his forehead with lines and wrinkles, when the morning of his youth has journeyed on to the deep night of old age, and all those beauties that he rules over in the present are vanishing or already vanished from sight, stealing the treasure from his spring. For that time, I fortify myself now to fight against the cruel knife of destructive time, so that he can never cut from memory my sweet love's beauty. Though he may cut down my lover's life, his beauty will be seen in these black lines, and they will live on, and in them he will still be green. When I have seen by time's fell hand defaced the rich proud cost of outworn, buried age, 
when sometime lofty towers I see down raised, and brass eternal slave to mortal rage, when I have seen the hungry ocean gain advantage on the kingdom of the shore, and the firm soil win of the watery main, increasing store with loss, and loss with store, when I have seen such interchange of state, or state itself confounded to decay, ruin hath taught me thus to ruminate, that time will come and take my love away. This thought is as a death, which cannot choose but weep to have that which it fears to lose. When I have seen defaced by time's savage hand the rich monuments of worn out and buried past ages, when I see towers that were once lofty raised to the ground, and even brass become subject to human destruction, when I have seen the hungry ocean gain advantage on the kingdom of the shore, and the firm soil conquer territory from the ocean, increasing its store with the other's loss, and vice versa. When I have seen that interchange of states, and the state itself demolished into nothing, ruin has taught me in this way to think that time will come and take my love away. This thought is like death, and I can't help but weep to have something that I fear to lose. Since brass, nor stone, nor earth, nor boundless sea, but sad mortality o'ersways their power, how with this rage shall beauty hold a plea, whose action is no stronger than a flower? Oh, how shall summer's honey breath hold out against the rackful siege of battering days, when rocks impregnable are not so stout? nor gates of steel so strong but time decays. O oh, fearful meditation! Where, alack, shall time's best jewel from time's chest lie hid? Or what strong hand can hold his swift foot back? Or who his spoil or beauty can forbid? O oh, none, unless this miracle have might, that in black ink my love may still shine bright. Since brass, nor stone, nor earth, nor the uncontained sea can help being overpowered by sad mortality, given this destruction, how can beauty survive, who is no longer stronger than a flower? Oh, how can summer's honey breath hold out against the destructive siege of battering days, when invincible rocks are not so hard? nor gates of steel strong enough to withstand decay over time. What a frightening thought! Where, alas, will time's most prized gem escape being put away in time's jewelry box? What strong hand can hold back time's quick steps? Who can prevent his spoiling of beauty? None unless this miracle is powerful enough that in the black ink my love may still shine bright.
tired with all these, for restful death I cry, as to behold desert a beggar born, in needy nothing trimmed in jollity, in purest faith unhappily forsworn, in gilded honor shamefully misplaced, in maiden virtue rudely strumpeted, in right perfection wrongfully disgraced, in strength by limping sway disabled, in art made tongue-tied by authority, and folly, doctor-like, controlling skill, and simple truth miscalled simplicity, and captive good attending captive ill. Tired with all these, from these would I be gone, save that to die I leave my love alone. I cry out for restful death, tired with all of these things, for example, seeing worth itself born as a beggar, and worthlessness itself dressed in expensive clothes, and purest faith herself unhappy abandoned, and golden honor shamefully put on the wrong person, and virgin virtue herself rudely rumored to be a whore, and correct perfection itself wrongfully insulted and strength itself disabled by crippled power, and art itself made tongue-tied by authority, and foolishness himself, like a doctor, overpowering skill, and plain truth itself wrongfully labeled as simplicity, and good itself made a prisoner and servant of evil. Tired with all of this, I would like to leave them all behind, except that if I die, I leave my love alone. Ah, wherefore with infection should he live, and with his presence grace and piety? that sin by him advanced should achieve and lates itself with his society. Why should false painting imitate his cheek and steal dead seeing of his living hue? Why should poor beauty indirectly seek roses of shadow since his rose is true? Why should he live now nature bankrupt is, beggared of blood to blush through lively veins? For she hath no exchequer now but his, and proud of many, lives upon his gains. O oh, him she stores, to show what wealth she had in long days since, before these last so bad. Uh, why should he live with contamination, and grace and piety itself with his presence, that sin should use him to take advantage and decorate itself with his company? Why should others use makeup to imitate his face and make lifeless copies from his living color? Why should poor beauty indirectly seek roses in the image of beauty, since his rose is true? Why should he live now that nature is bankrupt, lacking the blood to blush through living veins? She has no treasury now other than his, and, admired by many, she lives on his profits. Oh, him she stores, to show what wealth she had, 
a long time ago, before the bad new days. Thus is his cheek the map of days outworn, when beauty lived and died as flowers do now, before these bath signs of fair were born, or durst inhabit on a living brow, before the golden tresses of the dead, the right of sepulchres were shorn away, to live a second life on second head, ere beauty's dead fleece made another gay. In him those holy antique hours are seen, without all ornament itself and true making no summer of another's green robbing no old to dress his beauty new and him as for a map doth nature store to show false art what beauty was of yore thus his cheek is the map of worn out days when beauty lived and died as flowers do now before these illegitimate signs of beauty were born, or dared to put them on a living body. Before the golden hair of the dead, which belong in the tomb, were cut off, to live a second life on another person's head, before beauty's dead hair made another happy. In him those holy ancient hours are seen, without any ornament, true to itself, not making itself look like summer with another's green, stealing no old thing to make his beauty look new. A nature keeps him as a map to show false art what beauty used to be. Those parts of thee that the world's eye doth view want nothing that the thought of hearts can mend. All tongues, the voice of souls, give thee that due, uttering bare truth, even so as foes commend. Thy outward thus with outward praise crowned, but those same tongues that give thee so thine own in other accents do this praise confound by seeing farther than the eye hath shown. They look into the beauty of thy mind, and that and guess thy measure by thy deeds. Then, churls, their thoughts, although their eyes were kind, to thy fair flower add the rank smell of weeds. But why thy odor matcheth not thy show? The soil is this, that thou dost common grow. The parts of you that the world are able to see lack nothing that the thought of hearts could improve. All tongues, which give voice to everyone's souls, give you the praise you deserve. Speaking naked truth, even your enemies praise you like this. Your outer beauty matches the praise your appearance inspires. But those same tongues that praise you as you deserve, in other accents, destroy that praise by seeing farther than just their eyes have shown them. They look into the beauty of your mind, and they estimate the quality of your mind by your actions. Then, ungrateful people, 
their thoughts, although their eyes were kind. Add the sour smell of weeds to the beautiful flower of your beauty. But why your smell does not match your appearance is for this reason. You have become common. That thou art blamed shall not be thy defect, for slander's mark was ever yet the fair. The ornament of beauty is suspect, a crow that flies in heaven's sweetest air. So thou be good, slander doth but approve thy worth the greater, being wooed of time. For canker vice the sweetest buds doth love, and thou presentest a pure, unstained prime. Thou hast passed by the ambush of young days, either not assailed or victor being charged. Yet this thy praise cannot be so thy praise, to tie up envy evermore enlarged. If some suspect of ill maxed not thy show, then thou alone kingdoms of hearts shouldest owe. It is not your fault that you will be criticized, since slander has always been aimed at beautiful people. The ornament of beauty is suspicious, like a crow that flies in heaven's sweetest air. If you are good, slander will only confirm that your worth is greater, since you are wooed by time. For vice, the cankerworm, loves to eat the sweetest buds, and you present a pure, uncorrupted youth. You have survived the traps that target young people, either by not being attacked or the victor taking the blame. But this praise of yours can't be your praise to prevent the attacks of envy. If some suspicion of evil did not cover your appearance, then you alone would rule over the kingdoms of lovers. No longer mourn for me when I am dead, then you shall hear the surely sullen bell give warning to the world that I am fled from this vile world while vilest worms to dwell. Nay, if you read this line, remember not the hand that writ it, for I love you so that I and your sweet thoughts would be forgot, if thinking on me then should make you woe. Oh, if I say... You look upon this verse, when I perhaps compounded am with clay. Do not so much as my poor name rehearse, but let your love even with my life decay. Lest the wise world should look into your moan and mock you with me after I am gone. Do not mourn for me when I am dead longer than the sound of the surely funeral bell that you hear that announces to the world that I have fled from dwelling in this low world with the lowest worms. Now, if you read this line, do not remember the hand that wrote it, for I love you so much that I would rather be forgotten by your sweet thoughts if thinking about me would cause you sadness. Oh, if I say, you look at this poem when I am perhaps mingling with clay, do not repeat so much as my poor name, but let your love decay with my life, so that the wise world doesn't investigate your moaning and mock you 
for your association with me after I am gone. Oh, lest the world should task you to recite what merit lived in me that you should love after my death, dear love, forget me quite, for you and me can nothing worthy prove, unless you would devise some virtuous lie to do more for me than my own desert, and hang more praise upon deceased eye than miserly truth would willingly impart. Oh, lest your true love may seem false in this that you for love speak well of me untrue. My name be buried where my body is, and live no more to shame nor me nor you. For I am shamed by that which I bring forth, and so should you, to love things nothing worth. Oh, in case the world makes you recite what merits I had that would justify your love after my death, Dear love, completely forget me, since you would be able to prove that there was nothing worthy in me, unless you would make up some virtuous lie to praise me more than I deserve, and hang more praise on my dead self than miserly truth would willingly give out. Oh, so that your true love does not seem false in this, that you, out of love, speak well of me untruthfully. Let my name be buried where my body is, and die with it to shame neither me nor you. For I am ashamed by what I produce, and so should you be, to love worthless things like me. That time of year thou mayst in me behold when yellow leaves, or none, or few, do hang upon those boughs which shake against the cold, bare ruined choirs, where late the sweet birds sang. In me thou seest the twilight of such day as after sunset fadeth in the west, which by and by black night doth take away, death's second self, that seals up all in rest. In me thou seest the glowing of such fire that on the ashes of his youth doth lie, as the deathbed whereon it must expire, consumed with that which it was nourished by. This thou perceivest, which makes thy love more strong, to love that well which thou must leave ere long. You may see in me that time of the year when yellow leaves, or none, or a few, hang on those branches that shake against the cold, naked, ruined choirs where once the sweet birds sang. You see in me the twilight of the kind of day that fades after the sunset in the west, which is gradually taken away by the black night, death's second self that seals up everything in rest. You see in me the glowing of a kind of fire that lies on the ashes of his youth, the deathbed on which it will surely die out, choked by the same thing it was once nourished by. 
This you perceive, which makes your love stronger, to love what you must leave before long. But be contented when that fell arrest without all bail shall carry me away. My life hath in this line some interest, which for memorial still with thee shall stay. When thou reviewest this, thou dost review the very part was consecrate to thee. The earth can have but earth, which is his due. My spirit is thine, the better part of me. So then thou hast but lost the dregs of life, the prey of worms, my body being dead, the coward conquest of a wretch's knife, too base of thee to be remembered. The worth of that is that which it contains, and that is this, and this with thee remains. But be content when that savage arrest carries me away without bail. My life has some interest in this line which will stay with you as a reminder. When you reread this, you review the very line that which was dedicated to you. The earth can have only earth, which is what he deserves. My spirit is yours, the better part of me. So then you will have lost only the worst parts of life. The food of worms, after my body is dead, the cowardly reward of a wretched person's knife, too low for you to remember. The value of that is what it contains, and that is this poem, which remains with you. So are you to my thoughts as food to life, or as sweet seasoned showers are to the ground. And for the peace of you I hold such strife as twixt a miser in his wealth is found. Now proud as an enjoyer, in a non-doubting the filching age will steal his treasure. Now counting best to be with you alone, then bettered that the world may see my pleasure. Sometime all full with feasting on your sight, and by and by clean starved for a look. Possessing or pursuing no delight, save what is had or must from you be took. Thus do I pine and surfeit day by day, or gluttoning on all or all away. You are to my thoughts as food is to life, or as sweet occasional showers to the ground. And to obtain the peace of loving you, I submit to the kind of conflict that is found between a miser and their wealth. One moment proud of its possession, and then suspecting that the thieving world will steal his treasure. One moment deciding I want to be with you privately, then that it would be better that the world can see my pleasure. Sometimes full with feasting on your sight, and sometimes completely starved for a look having and looking for no delight except what is had or must be taken from you. Therefore I pine and feast day by day, either feasting on everything or lacking what that is absent.
Why is my verse so barren of new pride, so far from variation or quick change? Why with the time do I not glance aside to new found methods and to compound strange? Why write I still all one, ever the same, and keep invention in a noted weed, that every word doth almost tell my name, showing their birth, and where they did proceed? Oh no, sweet love, I always write of you, and you and love are still my argument. So all my best is dressing old words new, spending again what is already spent. For as the sun is daily new and old, so is my love still telling what is told. Why is my verse so empty of new ornaments, so lacking in variety or lively change? Why don't I follow the times and divert to new methods and strange compounds? Why do I always write one thing, always the same, and give creations of familiar dress that every word I write reveals my authorship, showing their origin and where they came from? Oh, my love, please know that I always write about you. And you and love are still my subjects. So the best I can do is rearranging old words, spending again what is already spent. For as the same sun is daily new and old, so my love involves still telling what has already been told. Thy glass will show thee how thy beauties wear, thy dial how thy precious minutes waste, the vacant leaves thy mind's imprint will bear, and of this book this learning mayst thou taste. The wrinkles which thy glass will truly show of mouthed graves will give thee memory, thou by thy dial shady stealth mayst know time's thievest progress to eternity. Look what thy memory cannot contain. Commit to these waste blanks, and thou shalt find those children nursed, delivered from thy brain, to take a new acquaintance of thy mind. These offices, so oft as thou wilt look, shall profit thee and much enrich thy book. Your mirror will show you how your beauty wears away. Your clock, how your precious minutes are wasted. Blank sheets will bear your mind's imprint. In this book, you may taste learning. The wrinkles which your mirror shows will remind you of graves gaping open. From your watch's slow-moving shadow, you may know how time is stealing everything from eternity. Look, whatever your memory cannot contain, write on these empty sheets, and you will find these children of your brain nurtured here to take on a new appearance of your mind. These duties, as often as you like, will benefit you and enrich your book a lot. So oft have I invoked thee for my muse, and found such fair assistance in my verse, 
as every alien pen hath got my use, and under thee their posy disperse. Thine eyes, that taught the dumb on high to sing, and heavy ignorance aloft to fly, have added feathers to the learned's wings, and given grace a double majesty. Yet be most proud of that which I compile, whose influence is thine and born of thee. In other works thou dost but mend the style, and arts with thy sweet graces graced be. But thou art all my art, and dost advance as high as learning my rude ignorance. So often I have called you to be my inspiration, and found such beautiful assistance with my poetry, that every other writer has adopted my practice, and circulates their verse under your patronage. Your eyes, that taught mutes to sing from the heavens, and raised heavy ignorance to new heights, have added feathers to the wing of the educated, and gave grace twice its majesty. But please be proudest of what I compose, which is influenced by you and born out of you. In others' works you only improve their style, and their arts are graced by your sweet graces. But you are all of my art, and you advance my ignorance as high as learning. Whilst I alone did call upon thy aid, my verse alone had all thy gentle grace. But now my gracious numbers are decayed, and my sick muse doth give another place. I grant, sweet love, thy lovely argument deserves the travail of a worthier pen. Yet what of thee thy poet doth invent, he robs thee of and pays it thee again. He lends thee virtue, and he stole that word from thy behavior. Beauty doth he give, and found it in thy cheek. He can afford no praise to thee, but what in thee doth live. Then thank him not for that which he doth say, since what he owes thee thou thyself dost pay. When I, alone, called for your help, only my verse had all of your noble grace. But now my graceful lines are decayed, and my sick muse gives my place to another person. I admit, my sweet love, that you are a lovely subject and deserve the labors of a better writer. But whatever the other poet writes about you, he steals it from you and pays it back to you. He attributes virtue to you, and he stole that word from your behavior. The beauty that he describes was found in your cheek. He can offer to you only the praise that already lives in you. Do not thank him for what he says, since what he owes to you, you yourself pay. Oh, how I faint when I of you do write, knowing a better spirit doth use your name, and in the praise thereof spends all his might to make me tongue-tied speaking of your fame. But since your worth, wide as the ocean is, the humble as the proudest sail doth bear, my saucy bark, inferior far to his, 
on your broad mane doth willfully appear. Your shallowest help will hold me up afloat, whilst he upon your soundless deep doth ride. Or, being racked, I am a worthless boat, he of tall building and of goodly pride. Then, if he thrive and I be cast away, the worst was this, my love was my decay. Oh, how weak I feel when I write about you, knowing that a better spirit uses your name and spends all his power praising it, so as to make me speechless in speaking of your fame. But while, since your value is as wide as the ocean, it holds the most humble and riches boats, my presumptuous little boat, far inferior to his, still stubbornly appears on your broad expanse. Your slightest assistance will help me to stay afloat, while he can ride out even out to the deepest parts. Or, since I am already wrecked, I am a worthless boat, while he is built to be tall and magnificent. Then, if he thrives and I am cast away, this is the worst part, my love caused my decay. If you enjoyed listening to me talk, I have another show on Spotify called Extra Point, X-T-R-A-P-O-I-N-T, with my best friend, Bakari Garvin. And we have an Instagram at Extra Point Pod, X-T-R-A-P-O-I-N-T-P-O-D. And if you want content or knowledge about me, your host, Trent Miley, Follow my professional Instagram at Riverside underscore readings. This has been Riverside Readings. I am your host, Trent Miley, and I look forward to the next journey we take together. As last pod would say, hail yourself and magustulations. <laughs>